evidence and answers. In recent times, many have been surprised to see many prominent Christians walking away from their faith in Christ. Many have left after deconstructing their faith. What does it mean when a Christian says they are deconstructing their faith? Is deconstruction helpful? What is a more biblical approach to dealing with doubt? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, our host, Pat, began an interview with Pastor Randy Manley. The topic at hand, the deconstruction movement. Now let's conclude and learn how we can help those who are doubting the truth of Christianity. And I know a lot of these pastors, they're not supporters of gay marriage or transgenderism or universalism, or, but they'll never address these issues. And, and like you said, you've got people in churches living in sin or embracing false ideas, thinking it's absolutely fine. Well, and Pat, that's why a ministry like Evidence and Answers is so vital, because you are saying some of these things that a lot of pastors either have overlooked, which is beyond my, my comprehension, or they have felt just fearful in dealing with, and you're tackling some of these things that are vital for us as believers to know how to, to answer and how to deal with in our, in our culture. Yeah. So Randy, where did this uh, deconstruction movement come from? Well, there's a lot of debate on that, of course. Some people would kind of trace it back to about 10, 11 years ago. There was a mega pastor at that time from, uh, I believe, the Michigan area, Grand Rapids. His name was Rob Bell. Yeah. And Rob came out with a book called Love Wins. And in that book, he questioned something that you just brought up a minute ago, the idea of hell and the idea of people spending an eternity in hell. And he did it in such a way where he didn't come right out and endorse universal salvation that everybody's going to go to heaven no matter what, but he certainly was knocking on that door. And so a lot of people contribute. He was very prominent and notable 10 years ago. And so that book made quite a splash in both the Christian world and the secular world. Interestingly enough, it wasn't long after that that Rob Bell left the ministry and has now a speaking itinerary kind of thing where he's making quite a lot of money. But some people would trace the beginnings or the roots of deconstruction back there in our modern day. Ultimately, Pat, it goes all the way back to the garden. Satan was trying to get Adam and Eve to deconstruct their faith. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the thing that he got them with? He asked them the question, has God said? He was bringing into question their faith in their creator. He was bringing into question the word that the creator had given them. And so you could argue that the first deconstruction started to take place right back with the first sin where Satan began to cause Eve to doubt what God had said. And that's really the roots of deconstruction. Yeah, I was looking for Rob Bell's book because I have it somewhere here on this shelf or maybe the other side of the room here. I, I did an article on it, but you're right. It was a best-selling book for, I think, four years at Barnes & Nobles, but also in Christian bookstores. And I 
tell you, during the time he was very prominent, I ran into dozens and dozens of Christians at conferences or churches I would speak at who told me how great this book was and I need to get my theology straight and read the book, you know, and I kept telling him I have, I've written an article on it. And here's where I think he goes astray from biblical teaching. But you're right, that book caused a lot of people to question the whole idea of is Jesus the only way and what is the destiny of the unsaved? And some people think, well, no big deal. I can kind of change that brick or take it out of my theology. But then you realize the essential truths of Christianity kind of hang together. So you kind of remove one brick and the next one starts to fall and the next one kind of starts to fall as well. Well, Randy, where does deconstruction fit with our post-modern and post-truth culture? Well, the culture that, that we're seeing today, Pat, is so truth is not something that you can know, right? It used to be that truth was you had your truth, I have my truth. Now, with our postmodern thinking, we can't even know truth. We just interpret things the best we can. You know, it was Nietzsche that said that there's no such thing as facts, just interpretations. And that's kind of where we're at in this world. We hear it said in various ways. And again, this is all so subtle. We hear it, people refer to your truth or my truth. They refer to, well, that's your reality or my reality. Or they'll say something like, we hear a lot today about narrative. Well, that's your narrative. This is my narrative. Those are just different ways of saying the same thing. We can't know truth. You have an idea of it. I have an idea of it. We just kind of do the best that we can. And so this whole idea of deconstruction fits into that whole context because deconstructionists, what they're saying is, we just do the best that we can. If you think that, for instance, homosexuality is a sin, well, that's your interpretation of scripture. And I don't agree with that. And in fact, a lot of people don't agree with that. So I'm going to go with the majority. You say that the Bible is the standard for truth. Well, we can't even be sure that we can know the truth. So how can we make a statement like that? And so in so many ways, this whole deconstruction trend in Christianity is just a spinoff of what we see happening in our culture. Yes. And just briefly, I'm going to ask you an easy softball question here. This whole idea that there's no such thing as truth or we can't know truth. What's wrong with that particular position? Well, the most obvious is mm -hmm. if, if I can't know truth, how do I know that what you're saying is true? Yeah. You're telling me I can't know truth. Well, is that statement true? If I can't know truth, then I'm in big trouble because I don't even know if your statement is true. So it doesn't work. We do know truth. There are basic things that we can say we know. And the reality is that our society is jettisoning the idea of truth and clinging to the idea of feeling. So much of what I want to hold on to in today's world has to do with how I feel about things. And uh, feelings are all over the map and they change continually. Truth is true for all people at all times in all places. It doesn't change. And truth ultimately is anchored not in a statement or a proposition, but in a person. 
the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we have him, we have truth. And he made that statement, very common verse in Christian circles. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus himself claimed that you could know truth and that he himself was the truth. Yeah, I think he stated great. Truth originates with God, not with man. So if God exists, truth originates with him and it's absolute. If God does not exist, then truth originates or is created by man. And then maybe relativism has a case, very weak case still, but you summarize it really well there. And Randy, you know, I hear, and it doesn't seem to have changed over the years since I've been a Christian up till now. A lot of Christians ask me, well, you talk about truth and facts and evidence, but where does faith fit in? Where does faith fit in? You know, I just had that on the Rick Hamada, the morning show, Christian called up and he said, you're talking about reason and evidence, but where does faith fit in? You know, what's the misunderstanding there that I would say most Christians have when it comes to truth and reason and evidence and faith? A lot of times, unfortunately, for Christian folk, we think that faith is just this blind shot in the dark, that faith is something that I can't possibly know, but I really want to believe in. So it's almost like a wishful kind of thing, right? We even take a word closely associated with faith, the word hope, and we use it like the world uses it as kind of a, well, I wish. But hope, biblically, is this confident expectation that a good God is going to bring about good. Well, how can I know that? Well, because God has revealed himself in scripture that he is a good God and everything he does ultimately works out for the good. So my hope is not in this wishful, wispy kind of idea. It's in the reality that God has revealed himself and I can hope, I can have confidence in the idea that this God who's revealed himself will do what he says he's going to do. The faith that I have should never be this well, I have no idea, I have no evidence, but it sounds good and I'm just going to hold on to it. Scripture never condones that. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, which we refer to a lot of times as the faith chapter, or the hall of faith, it starts off by, by saying that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, right? And then it goes on and gives us an example in the next verse. It says, by faith, we know that the world was created or framed by the word of God. What's he saying? He's saying, look, if you look at creation, if you didn't even have a Bible and you looked at the created world, you could come to the conclusion that there is design and purpose and it must have been formed by an intelligent being. That's not some wispy, I hope, I wish kind of thing. That is an evidential kind of faith that says, look, God has shown me enough about himself that I know he's there. In fact, Romans 1 talks about that same idea, that we know that God is there even just by looking at what's been created around us. Yes. Yeah, so one of the things I keep saying, kind of echoing your words, Christianity is not a blind leap in the dark. I believe it because it sounds good or I like it. It's a reasonable faith built on solid reasons and evidence to uphold its claims. So I can take a step of faith in the direction where the evidence is leading. Yeah. Now, Randy, what is a more biblical approach to dealing with doubt and when we're re-examining and inspecting our faith? Well, talk about dealing with doubt. I think the greatest challenge that I would give is deal with your doubt honestly. 
there's basically two kinds of doubters. There's an honest doubter and what I call a dishonest doubter. An honest doubter is a person that says, man, I'm really wondering about this and I want to find out. It's kind of like what you talked about earlier, Pat. You were driven to find the answers. I want to see where the answer, I want to see where this leads. I want to study scripture. I want to go to mentors or, you know, different folks that have wrestled with this. That's an honest doubter, someone who pursues answers. Then the dishonest doubter is someone who's content with their doubt. In fact, their doubt is more about cynicism. It's more about just playing devil's advocate. And I know quite a few people like that. I'm sure you do too, Mm -hmm. where they're content with just stumping others with their doubt. That's a dishonest doubter. They're not concerned about the answers. In fact, they like their doubt because it gives them license to go out and do things that they know they couldn't or shouldn't do if they had the answer to whatever it is that doubt that they had. So how do we deal with it? We deal with it honestly. We'd be people, Christians, followers of Christ that pursue the answers. Interesting this whole little book of Jude tucked right before the last book of the Bible is kind of like this little treatise on deconstructionism. If you look really close at it, Jude was uh, addressing some folks that were coming in trying to deconstruct faith really is what they were doing. They were raising doubts about some very important issues. And by the time that you get to the end of Jude, he gives a warning In verse 17, he says that these things are going to happen in the end. Be aware. There's going to be those mockers. He calls them mockers that come along and and basically try to destroy your faith, deconstruct your faith. And then he, he gives a challenge to hold on. Don't let that faith go. Hold on to it. In fact, he starts off the whole book saying, hey, I wanted to talk to you about our, our salvation, our common salvation, but there's something more vital than that. And I want to talk to you about earnestly contending for the faith. And that word literally means to fight for the faith. And Pat, that's what you're involved in. That's what I'm involved in. We are trying to fight for the truth of what God has said. And in the process of that, we build up people's faith. We don't deconstruct it. Yeah. And you know, in verse 22 of Jude there, it it talks about how to deal with people who are struggling in their faith. You know, some in apostasy, you you snatch them from the fire, he says. But here in verse 22, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. So what does that verse mean? And how do we approach those, as you said, who are honestly doubting and struggling? What's the approach here? Well, unfortunately, Pat, some of the stories that I've read on, on these folks that are deconstructing, they, they talk about being in a church or being in a setting where their questions were either ignored or they were treated as being bad for having questions or doubts. I, I can't imagine that, but that's, that's what many of them claim. To have mercy on someone who's doubting is to go to take it seriously. They've got legitimate concerns, legitimate doubts. And so what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to come alongside them and I'm going to try to help them with the struggles and the doubts that they have. In order for us to be able to do that, we've got to have answers to be able to help them. So we have to be good students of the word and we have to be looking for ways to build our faith up so that when we have a brother or sister who's doubting, we can come alongside them and bolster them and build them in their faith. Yeah, give us some practical tips of how you help people 
who were doubting. And what I'm talking about is those who are honestly struggling here. My old approach used to be you got questions and then I just blast you with the answers. That wasn't always the best approach. I ended up learning after maybe 10 years of doing it the wrong way. Give us some practical advice when Christians are honestly doubting, beginning to struggle. You know, what are some practical ways we can help them through the process? I think the first thing that I would encourage folks on, Pat, is when someone doubts and they're willing to verbalize it, don't act shocked or appalled. Oh my goodness, you're questioning, you know, that God is sovereign or you're questioning that scripture is authoritative or that Jesus is the only way. How could you do that? That's the last thing that you want to do because then in doing that, you're shaming the individual. That never should be our goal. Our goal should be what Paul talked about, speak the truth in love, right? Understanding that their doubts are very real and that our desire should be to encourage them toward the truth. The other thing that I would say is that don't find yourself necessarily believing or falling into the trap that their doubt is the real issue. Like we said, when we started off, a lot of times what happens is these folks have had some kind of thing in their life, some traumatic personal situation that has caused this doubt. And so ask some questions, find out what's going on. So why all of a sudden have you started doubting this? And and what may come from that is this revelation of this personal situation. You want to be sympathetic in those situations and realize, hey, I get that. I am so sorry that this has happened, or I understand why you would struggle now because of this. And so again, some validation, some compassion So that, like you said, you're not just hitting them with a shotgun of answers, but you're showing them, number one, it's okay to have your doubts. Number two, I'm so glad that you're pursuing answers and I want to help you find those answers. I'm so sorry that you're hurting. And I know God is sorry that you're hurting too. And so together, let's work on finding the answer to your, not only your doubts, but to the hurt and the struggle that you've gone through so that we can get on the other side together. Yeah, I think that's a terrific answer. I can tell it comes from years of experience there being a pastor. And what do you do when maybe you don't have the answer with what this person is struggling with? Some people feel intimidated saying, oh, what if I don't have the answer? Well, a lot of people that approach me that I don't have the answer. You know, what do you do in those situations? Well, Pat, I kind of had to learn this the hard way a number of years ago. If you don't have the answer, be honest right from the beginning and say, you know what? I'm not sure. I used to try to bluff my way through it and it made it worse because eventually the other person knew I didn't know and I acted like I did know. And really ultimately what you're doing is you're being deceptive. And so if you don't know, just be upfront and honest right from the get-go and say, you know what? I don't know. And then I would follow it up with this. And this is what I like to do. I don't know but I know there's an answer. I don't have the answer right now, but I know that there is an answer. And you know what? I would like to, if give me a little bit of time and I would like to help you in, by researching this and seeing if I can find an answer and let's get together again so that we can talk about this. It's not enough to say, well, I don't know the answer, sorry, and walk away. There's no compassion in that. 
but to say i don't have the answer and i want to help you and together we're going to find the answer to this i think that's the approach that that we need to take yeah that's great yeah you learn it together i think that's fantastic advice there last question randy really is how do you discern between the honest doubter and the dishonest doubter that's a great question sometimes that's difficult i found most of the time though you can kind of smoke that out so to speak by asking questions and maybe starting down the road of especially if you have an answer if you think you know what scripture says on a particular thing and you begin to throw out some of that and you follow their response see how they're responding a lot of times what happens is a skeptical person will just continue to be skeptical and so you have to be careful that you don't spend a lot of time trying to convince somebody that has no desire to be convinced. So I think in the process of, of asking some of those questions, walking down that road a little bit, doing a lot of praying as you go, Spirit of God, give me discernment as I deal with this person. Help me as I seek to give them proper guidance and proper answers. And I found, Pat, so many times that gets kind of smoked out, so to speak. And you realize pretty quick, if a person is really seriously seeking answers, or if they're trying to stump you or make themselves feel better because they have found that you don't have an adequate answer or, or whatever their excuse might be. Yeah, you know, that's good. We're not obligated to answer every question of someone that really doesn't want answers. And I see that in scripture, you know, Matthew 16, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and, and said, show us a sign. And Jesus said, the wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And the reason is he had done so many miracles already. And they had heard him teach and they said, hey, show us another miracle. And, and he knew they weren't being honest. And so he said, well, no sign is given to you except the resurrection. And so even Jesus saw when you're not being honest, you're not honestly seeking, he's not going to, as he said, cast pearls before swine. He's is not obligated to continue to try and answer and, and get all the answers to your satisfaction, which you won't be satisfied because you're not looking for an answer. So I think it's great what you answered, how you can kind of just smoke them out through your conversation there. You know, you come up against people sometimes that really, unfortunately, have been so enamored by their own skepticism that they find it almost like a game to try to stump as many Christians as they can with some of their stuff. Now, if you've got somebody in the church that's like that, to me, that's, that's a very good indication that you're not dealing with someone who's even truly a follower of Christ but they very well could possibly be a tool of the enemy to trip up as many followers of Christ within that church family as possible. So you gotta be careful of those kind of things too. Yeah, so we've been talking about deconstructing your faith with Pastor Randy Manley. He is the partner in the proclamation and defense of the gospel right here in my home state of Hawaii here. He's pastor of Molokai Baptist Church. And Randy, if people want more information on you if they're in the islands and they want to come visit you there in Molokai, one of the most beautiful islands here in the state, because it still doesn't have the dense city population of Oahu. It's a beautiful place to go and visit. Where can they get more information on you and your church? 
Well, we have a very simple web address to remember. It's MolokaiBaptist.com. And uh, there's some information on the church. You can pull up sermons, articles, different things like that. We'd love to have you visit. If you make your way to Molokai, the most beautiful Hawaiian <laughs> island, we would love to have you come visit for a service. Yes. You've been listening to our interview with Pastor Randy Manley, pastor of Molokai Baptist Church. Also, he's uh, been a speaker at our apologetics conference here in the state of Hawaii, our annual Evidence and Answers Conference. So, Randy, thanks for being with us and talking on this important topic with us here on Evidence and Answers. Thanks so much for having me, Pat. We've run out of time. Thanks for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. Hey, 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 hey.